This episode is sponsored by coachingforpastors.org. Pastor, if you are ready, if 2020 is going to be the year for you to transform your health, check out my story at coachingforpastors.org. This is episode 339 of the 200 Churches podcast. There usually in a church isn't a voice for the non-Christians. There's a loud voice from the Christians. The Christians may say, hey, I want worship to be less, uh, I don't want it to be so loud, or I want it to be louder, or <laughs> right, I want, right. I need this program, and I need that program, and what about my needs, and my kids' needs, and my small group needs, and so you hear those voices all the time in a church. Who's the voice for the non-Christian? Who's the one that says, hey, what about our unchurched friends and people who are not in, in the building yet? What are we doing to reach them? Welcome to the 200 Churches Podcast. We're passionate about providing ministry encouragement to pastors of small churches. Now here are two guys who are definitely better together. Friends, pastors, and podcast partners, Jeff and Johnny. This is the 200 Churches Podcast. My name is Johnny Craig, and I am here in the snowbound but cozy 200 churches studio with with the man the myth the the founder the ceo the president oh i like it johnny i like it jeff katie jeff katie baby here live with you hey good to be recording with you johnny this is the first time we're recording in 2020 you're right the last time we did this was with nt right i think so yes this would be every time i can say his name on the podcast i have to but <laughs> i think that's the last time we were together was that like person. the summer of 19 is the last that the last time we recorded it wasn't the summer it was the fall come on the fall <laughs> it had to be the fall <laughs> Oh, Johnny, Johnny! I hope we, uh, I hope we do better in 2020. That's the plan. It's hard, man. It's, it's, you know, when we were together and we could make time to do this, and I'd come over sometimes to your house at nine o'clock at night, right, to do this after the kids go to bed. the The reality of ministry, and this is true for our listeners, is that it's very busy. It's a lot going on, and it can be difficult to fit everything in. So I would say the podcast goes into the everything category, and it's it can be hard sometimes to fit this in. Uh, to our lives now that we're in different places now that we're in different places and uh, now that i took a week off one time gave myself the permission to take a week off once you've done it once that was the mistake (laughs) see see so for our listeners uh men and women uh pastors that's how sin is (laughs) (laughs) that's how sin is when you give yourself permission to sin, it's only easier the next what time. A pa- what a pastor. Wow. It's, just it's, it's also at, how alcohol transition. works. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Big Macs work that way. Yeah. Weed works that you way. You start dancing. Next you, thing dancing, you know. Dancing. Next on. thing you know. Yeah. yeah. It's just, there's nothing good that can come from any of that. The movie house. Uh, I mean. Yeah. The movie house. The billiard hall. <laughs> Who knows what'll happen. Oh, man. So, Johnny. This episode, yeah, Gary with two R's, yes, Gary Pool, Pool with an E, with an E, Pool yeah. with an E. So Gary, speaking of billiards, yes, that's right, that's <laughs> right. So Gary was on staff at Willow Creek in yeah. uh, South Barrington for I want to say fifteen years. He was the director of evangelism. That's a long time. That's no joke. Yeah, and he is all around. I think he shares in the episode what he's doing. Uh, he's been connected with guys like Mark Middleberg and Lee Strobel yeah. in the publishing arena, uh, helping them co-author some books. I ran into him, and I think you did too, if you remember, when we were at the Good for All conference. Yes. He was the guy that interviewed the lady who had come to be a part of a panel, and then ended up turning her life over to Jesus. Oh, that was that guy. That was Gary Poole. I thought that guy 
went to the church that the conference was held at. Yes, so did I at first, but, oh, okay. but he didn't. He's part of One Life Advisors, Okay, and the church that we were at, which is called... Valley Church. Yeah, so they are partnering with One Life Advisors to trying to up their evangelism game, right? Oh, their okay. outreach into the community. The, the church is, is such a phenomenal church, and the pastor that's been there has been there for a long time. Okay, let's calm down. This is a competing church in my area. I think 20 I, We don't have to talk church. so good about this oh, place Oh, the church I mean, is like off the charts good, Johnny. Yeah, they I do mean, beautiful ministry. I'm, I'm kidding. Other churches There's no competition. And, okay, they're beautiful. Okay. Yes, they're doing really great ministry. They are, yeah. So they've they've partnered, and so that's one of the pilot churches okay. for One Life Advisors. Very cool. And the One Life is the person that you're trying to influence for Jesus. Yeah. So, Johnny, who's your One Life? Who's my right? One Life? This guy named Jeff. He needs some help. That is really funny. That's the same name as me because my one life is a guy with your name. It's a guy named named Johnny. Johnny. Wild, Absolutely. <laughs> so the one life is the person that you know you're going after, and they they encourage everybody to get a one life. Yeah. And so that's what we that's what we talk about. Yeah. But we've just come into 2020 here this month. In fact, we're almost done. We're just about done with the first month of 2020. I mean, that's flying by. It is. It is. How are you doing, Johnny? How's your life and ministry going? Doing good. You know, I've been reflecting a lot. This is kind of a downer. I apologize. Uh, this this is the exact same time last year that my daughter was in the ICU for yep. a whole month. And yeah. so I have been, as I've gone through this month, I've realized how like that I've been carrying that with me a little bit, mm. which is mm-hmm. surprising to me. Um, But such a good ministry is happening at this church right now. We're in the middle of a series that uh, we're calling In Not Of um, that we're preaching through and talking about hard topics. We're talking about last uh, week, talking about economics, like actually though, not just about like your money, but like the economic system that we live in. And if it's like reflecting the kingdom of God and what to do if it's not, we're talking about politics. We're talking about all sorts of crazy stuff. And people seem to be really... Uh, resonating with it. I don't know enjoying is the right word because it's yeah. intended to be challenging. But in the world, not of the world. Yeah, in but not people of. are showing up. It's it's pretty pretty cool stuff. So things are things are going great here. I think I'll be happier in February is what I would say. <laughs> when I get to February, I'll be like, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. I can breathe again. But You, you probably will. Yeah. You know, when I'm on the first anniversary of my son's accident, yeah. I was surprised at how rough that was. See? It yeah. really was. Yeah. I was That weekend was so dark for me. It's interesting, right? You don't think it's going to be. Right. And then you're like, why do I feel this way? Yeah. And it turns out, you look at the calendar, oh, there it is. The yeah. second year was much easier. By the third year, it was like, oh, yeah, this is that weekend. Yeah. And now the last two years, the fourth and fifth year, I hardly even think about it. Yeah. Well, so, that's good. That's encouraging. Yeah, but that first year was... Really dark. That's good. That that's not good to hear, but it actually is kind of good to hear because yeah. I feel like now I can feel like it's not you know weird or abnormal, right. and it's not going to happen every year, right? Because you get further away from that, right? And it gets better. Yeah. So well, that's cool. Thanks for sharing that, man. Yeah. So Gary Poole, Gary and I talked while I was driving across the mile-long bridge into Knoxville, Iowa. All right. One night, I actually had my, I had still had my AirPods back then, and uh, <laughs> your first set, yes, my first the set. originals. My kids, uh, thankfully, my kids gave me a new a new set. Um, but yeah, Gary and I talked. We had a great conversation. We're we're about now. Gary's not going to divulge his age in the podcast, of course, no, which is somewhat strange and suspect. But however. <laughs> <laughs> I figured out that we're we're right about the same age. The golden age. Yeah, somewhere around there. He's probably a little older than me. 
Um, but he looks, throw that in he there, looks yeah. a few years younger than me, though. I'll throw that in there, there too. There you go. You I'll got throw it myself then. under the bus. But hey, here's my conversation with Gary Poole. Gary Poole, welcome to the 200 Churches Podcast. Good to have you here. It's good to be with you, Jeff. Gary, you and I did not bump into each other, but we were at the same conference. We were at the Good for All Conference in Des Moines, Iowa this past fall, and I got to see you there. Then at some point, we got connected after that. I don't really remember how, but we're on this call, and let's take care of the most important thing first. Tell us about your family. Well, uh, I have a great family. I am a single so there you go. I've got uh, lots of relatives, lots of family members, and we always get together. We're getting together now um, in Indiana for Christmas, and I've got a nephew and niece that are very dear to me. So gotcha. I'm sort of their close uncle, yeah. <laughs> you, you were going to say surrogate father, but you decided with close uncle. <laughs> yeah, same thing. Well, you're the guy they can go to when they don't want to talk to dad, right? Exactly. Nice. Yes. Nice. So, Gary, you've got a long history in ministry, and you find yourself uh, where you're at right now. Tell us what you're doing right now. Yes. Um, so my passion has always been in the area of evangelism and uh, helping churches raise their evangelistic temperature, whether it's the church that I've been pastoring or the church that I've worked at or the churches that I'm coming alongside and consulting. And that's what I'm doing right now is I'm, I've identified churches around the country who are interested in helping their people engage in the evangelism process. It's something that's scary. It's not always something that uh, people understand how to go about. It's not politically correct, but it's something that God has called us to do. It's our great commission. So um, we're trying to come alongside churches and equip people to feel confident to engage in spiritual conversations. And you are basically, I think I called it unvangelism because it's different than what some of us in our 40s, 50s, 60s would have known as evangelism back in the 80s and, and 70s, 80s, and 90s. And you're trying to equip churches to reach the lost today in, in a different way because we're in a different world, correct? That is correct. It's, that's a good phrase. I haven't really used, it, uh, used that on evangelism, but I really like that. I like the way you uh, put that. It's, you know, it's a little counterintuitive, the approach that we, we teach and equip people to do. It's, it's probably um, another way to think about evangelism. In some ways, I, I say that I re, I'm redefining evangelism. And by that, I mean that we, we look at what are some of the obstacles that hinder honest, open conversations about spiritual things, and what is it that's causing non-Christians to avoid Christians, and, what, and, and you can look at it in reverse, what is it that causes Christians to avoid non-Christians, because that is really happening in our culture. And uh, as a result of our analysis and understanding where people are coming from, we came up with a strategy that incorporates uh, the concept of doing more listening than talking, and we ask more questions than we attempt to answer. And that's a refreshing, counterintuitive approach to evangelism that's very, very powerful. 
asking questions. And so the first thing that would come to a lot of people's minds is, well, you're asking questions and you're engaging in conversations, but at some point you have to, clo- you have to close the loop, right? You have to uh, cinch the sale, right, and get people to make a decision. Um, and I think if, if I'm understanding you correctly and, and looking at what you've been doing from, from the outside is that you're saying that there's a different way to get there that probably has a higher conversion rate than doing it the way we did it 30 and 40 years ago. Yes, uh, absolutely. And the way that we did it in, in the past was that we did need have the need to close the deal. We needed to explain the gospel, and we needed people to uh, stop talking and listen, listen to us. And we need to explain ourselves and explain the gospel. And instead, what we're finding is that we have to build bridges of trust because there's a trust barrier. And the way to do that is to get to know the other person first and to hear their story and to listen to them articulate what their barriers are to belief. And uh, so in some ways we say, seek first to understand before seeking to be understood. And that's really what's counterintuitive. Well, now now we got to care about people though, Gary. That's that's long and messy. We just we just want we we just want notches on our belt, right? We want people to be saved. We don't want to have to actually right. care about them. That that takes a lot more time. It does. <laughs> yeah, it's it is uh, getting involved in people's lives, and uh, you know, speaking of caring about people, it really is a way to care and to show that you are offering unconditional acceptance and and unconditional love, and. You know, people feel valued when they feel heard and understood. And many times in the evangelism process, they feel devalued because they don't feel heard and understood. They feel preached at, they feel talked at, they feel condemned or judged, but they don't feel heard and they don't feel understood. And we're answering questions that they're not even asking. Hmm, and yeah. we're giving them two cent answers to million dollar questions, and it's devaluing them and devaluing the process. That's really interesting. So, so let's just rewind just a little bit because you were involved in in a, an evangelism strategy and program that a lot of us would have used twenty fifteen to twenty or more years ago, and you worked with Mark Middleberg and Lee Strobel to do it. Could you just explain that a little bit? What that was? Yes, um, I am. Um, indebted to those two guys, their ministry partners, even to this day. I've worked with them for many, many years. And, you know, um, our approach was to design a weekend service that would be the attractional model, that would be something that would be easy for people to invite non-Christians to mm-hmm. or the unchurched to, so that they could come and, and hear a service and be moved by the, the service. We, we wanted the service to be genuine and authentic and real and meeting people right where they were and right where they were at. And so it, it was a seeker-driven model, I would say. I think that was very powerful, and many churches adapted it. It was a, a way to partner with Christians to provide a next step uh, for them as they engage in spiritual conversations or share their faith. 
And uh, I think it was very powerful at the time. I think what's happening in our day, in our culture today, is that fewer and fewer people are willing to darken the door of a church, no matter how attractive it might be. And so I'm, I'm afraid that that isn't always an option, you know, in the evangelism process is to rely on some kind of a service that you can invite people to. They're not coming. Yeah, and I think that that's one of the things that we struggle with, uh, baby boomers, is that we try to fix the ills of our parents' generation and our and our our parents' generation of pastors and churches, and we thought we, we had something pretty good, but we've lived just a little bit long enough now to realize that now now even that is is out of sync with the culture, and somehow we we've got to keep iterating right and trying to figure out new things. And I guess I, I just I just know that for me, it's taken a little bit for me to realize, okay, Jeff, you know, you, you're kind of moving on uh, in terms of age and what your experiences have been. And now you really do have to listen to people who are, who are developing and uncovering ways to speak in the culture as it is today. And not as it was twenty years ago, and, and and we wanted our parents to do to do this, and they had a hard time with it, and now we're the parents, and and our young people, and young colleagues, and young ministry partners are saying, hey, come on, th- this thing has to change. So what I appreciate about you, Gary, is that you, I think you're a little older than me. How old are you? <laughs> I don't give out my age, not on a podcast. Well, yeah, but you got two R's in your name, and I just gave that out. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm 56. You're you're around my age. What I appreciate about you is that you are developing new. You're you're just constantly iterating and developing new ways for churches in our culture to speak to the unchurched. Yeah, you know what else I found is helpful and what people need Christians is uh, they need to understand what the expectation is for evangelism and what the approach they can use. In other words, when we leave it up to just saying things like we, you need to share your faith or you need to do evangelism or you need to mm-hmm. reach non-Christians, Christians don't know what that means. Right. They don't know what the expectations are. They don't know how to do that and wh- or where to start and what to do. And we have found that if we can equip them with a strategy, sometimes that word strategy is, a, is the wrong word because it's a little scary, but right. it's an approach mm-hmm. that's simple that could mobilize Christians who don't have the gift of evangelism, maybe aren't necessarily gifted in apologetics, but they know that as a believer, they are God's representative, God's ambassador, and they want to be effective. So what do we do? And so we're actually giving people that with the churches we work with a very simple approach that anyone can follow. We lay it out for people as to what the expectation is. It's really helping people. There's this term in what you're doing. It's called One Life. Right. Your, your website is onelifeadvisors.com. Yes. And explain what that term means, One Life. One Life is a simple way to describe an approach. And the One Life represents asking every believer in our church to identify one person that they are praying for and hoping that God will use them to influence. And in some ways, we've been replacing the word evangelism with another word, 
we use, which is influence. We want to spiritually influence others. Hmm. And we ask people to identify someone in their sphere of influence, where they live and where they work and where they play. Find one person who God has put in your heart that you might be able to reach out to. That's your one life. And what we found with the churches we're working with, that just coming up with that simple phrase, it creates a common language that everybody can say, oh yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh yeah, I know. That's your one life. I've got a one life too. And I was overhearing a conversation with a group of Christians and they were saying, yeah, my one life came to church with me. Hmm. Can you believe it? And the other person said, well, I've been, in, I've been trying to get my one life to come, but he won't come. But wow, what happened? And so now the conversations are starting to take place and the stories are starting to be shared of how people are engaging in this process with their one life. And Jeff, there's another part to this too. So it's a two-part strategy. The first is to identify your one life. But then the question is, well, what do you do once you've identified your one life? And we have come up with a little cool acronym. We call it 3D1. Okay. 3D1. I'll I'll just give you a quick overview, and then you can ask any follow-up questions about it. But 3D1 is the approach that we ask believers to uh, follow as they seek to share their faith. And 3D1, the one stands for their one life, which I just explained, identifying one person in their sphere of influence that they're hoping to reach. The three Ds represent what we are inviting people to do with their one life. And it's really very simple. The three words that all start with the same letter D. So the first one is develop friendships. So we say once you identified someone, develop a friendship with them, develop a genuine, authentic friendship with them. And so a lot of where this came from is that when I would do training in evangelism around the country at different churches, I would ask people, do you have someone in your life who's a non-Christian that you would consider a friend? And a lot of people don't. In fact, statistics tell us that the longer a person is a Christ follower, the fewer non-Christian friends they have. This is a problem when it comes to evangelism. So we say, you know, identify someone and then don't view them as a project. That's not the idea here. The concept is not to view people as a, someone with a target on their back or something like that, but it's to actually develop genuine love for this person and valuing this person and caring about this person and developing a genuine, authentic, ongoing friendship with this person. And so in our trainings, we have to help people figure out where to start. They say, I don't, I don't have any non-Christians. I may have a, a non-Christian down, down the street in my neighborhood, but I don't know their name. Or maybe there's a few non-Christians that I know at work, but I, I try to avoid them after hours because I don't have anything in common. So there is this barrier and it's that in some ways Christians avoid non-Christians and non-Christians avoid Christians. We're saying let's overcome that. And the first D is simply to develop a genuine friendship. Hang out with that person. Find out common interests that you might have with that person and spend time hanging out together. So that's the first D. The second D is discover stories. And that's where the real paradigm shift is that we were just talking about, spending time getting to know their story, uh, find out about their life story, not just what they believe and don't believe about God, but their life story, where they grew up and why they chose the career that they did. And tell me about your family and and what are your hobbies? Yeah, did you grow up going to church? And what do you think about God? And do you think there's life after death? And really get to know their story and why they believe what they believe and why they believe what they don't believe. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that's the second D. And the third D is discern next steps. 
as you get to know the person and their story, pray and ask the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom to discern the best next step to take with this person to develop the relationship and friendship even more and to maybe engage in spiritual conversations. So in some cases, it isn't always the best next step to invite them to church. Rather, the best next step might be to discern what would serve them best. How can you meet them where they're at? And it could be to go back to the first D and just develop a friendship with them. Or it could be to go to the second D and discover their story a little bit more. It could be to invite them to church. It could be to engage in a spiritual conversation. It could could be to invite them to receive Christ into their life. So that's where discerning next steps is so critical. We're teaching people how to think how to rely on the guidance of the Holy Spirit, how to use wisdom, figure out, okay, what is the best next step with my non-Christian friend? Now, Gary, are you currently involved in doing this in your local church? Yes, I am. I have three One Lives, and they're very dear to me, very close with them. Now, wait, wait, time out, time out. It's One Life, Gary. (laughs) You can't have three One Lives. (laughs) I know. I know, I'm breaking all the rules. Oh, that's funny. That is funny because, you know, that's one of the big questions I usually get when I talk about this. They say, can you have more than one? Or can you change your one? Yeah. You know, and uh, is it legal? Yeah, right, right. (laughs) And so we spend time uh, answering those kinds of questions. But yeah, there's three guys in my life that I have known over time and have developed a genuine friendship with these guys. It's been fantastic. And that's what I do. In fact, here's an interesting story. So one of my one lives is uh, a guy by the name of Jason. And he actually is somebody that I work out with. He's in some ways my trainer and he uh, coaches me and so forth. And We've developed quite a friendship. He's shared quite a bit of his life story with me. One day, I just felt like I knew him well enough that I could actually tell him this. And I said, hey, I just want you to know, you're my one life. Hmm. And he was like, what? what? What do you mean? And I go, oh, you're just one person that God has put in my heart to pray for and to engage in a process of having these kinds of spiritual conversations and he goes, well, great, because I need all the prayer I can get. So well, have yeah. at it, man. <laughs> and so, Perfect example of how if you actually when we talk to people about spiritual things, it's, it's really not that bad. People don't like freak right. out and they'll just, in fact, they think it's a whole lot more normal than most Christians think just to talk about spiritual matters, wouldn't you say? Yes. You know, I do feel like Christians sometimes put an extra pressure on themselves, and then it makes it awkward. Hmm. Whereas non-Christians, when they're engaging in these kinds of things, they're just kind of being open with their honest questions. And if they feel like they are not going to be judged, and that someone really cares about what they think, that's the key. In some ways, evangelism in the past has been, your story isn't important to me. What's really important is you got to hear my story. i got to tell you my testimony and tell you how I became a Christian, and then I'm going to tell you God's story. You know, your story isn't part of this process. Hmm. I'm going to tell you my story, and then here's God's story, and here's how you can have a relationship with God. And they're not ready for that yet, because they have a whole story they want to share. And then when you actually care about their story and really genuinely want to know their story, that's when they feel the freedom to really tell you their story. So I don't remember this. I don't remember this, so I'm going to ask you. You worked with Mark Middleberg to do that Contagious Christianity program. Did that have an element in it where you were inviting stories from other people? 
You know, it's a very good program, and, and a lot of churches use the Contagious Christian course, and there's a lot of tools in there for how to articulate the gospel, how to tell your story, how to tell God's story, and that's very important, and that's part of the process. It's part of the 3D1 process, and I guess I would say this 3D1 is a way to get you to the place to be able to tell your story, to build enough trust with non-Christians where they're ready to hear God's story. This is sort of a supplement to the Contagious Course. In fact, in some ways, we use the Contagious Course to provide some additional training in evangelism and how to articulate the gospel and that kind of thing, which is really important in the process. Yeah, and this is just like another iteration of your work in evangelism ministry. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I think of evangelism as a process, not as a one-time event. There's different elements of the process that we need to be ready for. This model is actually helping people to understand that it is a process. So I think this is pretty new, right? I mean, you're still working with some of the very first churches that are, are using this 3D1 and One Life program. Is that right? Yeah, you know, in uh, in many ways, I, I developed this over the years, over time, a long process, and in some ways we were practicing this and teaching people some of these principles, but we never really articulated the approach as simple as this. Hmm. And yes, we have identified what we've called pilot churches. The only reason we're using the pilot churches is we're saying, hey, we want to learn from you as much as you learn from us. And we're One Life Advisors. We'll help you through this process. And these churches that we work with, we ask them to sign up for a whole year. We make exceptions and we'll customize things, but the real approach takes time to develop. And so it's a year of coaching church leaders and starting with them to live it out in their own lives and then coaching them to help the congregation live this out. So, yeah, these pilot churches have seen their evangelistic temperature go up. Um, They've seen Christians share stories about their one life, and it's now becoming part of their DNA that their church is an outreach-oriented church and that it's not just something that they're talking about, it's something that their people are actually doing. Gary, recently, in fact, in the last 18 months or so, I've worked with two organizations. One is called the Unstuck Group with Tony Morgan. It's just strategic planning for churches. And the other organization is one called Optavia, and it helps people to, through healthy habits, develop healthy lives and healthy lifestyles. I I mean, I've paid premium cost to be involved in both of those things, and I've done them both for the long haul for a year. And it's amazing to me that if you don't change your mindset in these areas, if you don't change the way that you think in these areas, you know, you can do something for a certain amount of time. But if it doesn't really come inside of you and and affect how you think, you can just walk right away from it so easily. And so the area of strategic planning in my local church, if I don't push that boulder up the hill, it's just going to it's just going to roll backwards. And in the area of better health, even though I've lost 80 pounds in the last two months, I've gained just 10 of it back. But I've also realized that I need to keep monitoring my thinking and how I think about food and health and how I think about strategic planning and and being intentional in my local church. Because uh, who is it? Michael Hyatt that calls it, and and he's not the one that, that originated this, but he says the resistance starts. And it just pushes against the things that you're trying to do. And it's like, you know, you're swimming upstream. So on your website, your One Life Advisors website, it says 3D1 and the One Life program 
is not a quick fix or a one-and-done sermon series. It's a permanent shift in the DNA, and I would you know, also say in the thinking of your church that requires a minimum of 12 months to fully implement. You guys are maybe just finishing your first year with the pilot churches. Is that true? Yeah. we First of all, a really good analogy there. I really appreciate you sharing that. We have uh, six churches that are part of our pilot program, okay. and a couple of them have, have, have uh, signed up for year two. Okay. It's exactly what you're talking about. The resistance that you brought up is really true, especially in evangelism. The way that I think of it is, you know, in the church, we have many values. We value worship. We value the teaching of God's Word. We value fellowship, small group Bible studies, serving, all these kinds of things, and evangelism. And my thinking is, and my conclusion is that the value of evangelism is the quickest to slip, and it's the one that people face the most resistance Hmm. of all the values. Mm -hmm. So we have to work extra hard to make sure that that value doesn't slip and that we're encouraging one another and we're sharing stories and we're praying for each other and we're raising the awareness and helping people not to give up. And that's why we have people share the One Life stories. And then back to your point is that we view this as a coaching program. We consider ourselves advisors and we're just coming alongside the key leadership of the church and we're giving them some coaching in their own personal lives as well as in the lives of the church members. And so a big portion of this is we ask the senior pastor and some of their key elders or staff members to engage in this process with us where we help them to implement these principles in their own life first. Our mantra is we cannot ask the congregation to do something that we're not willing to do ourselves. And so the first part of our program is to mobilize the staff and the elders to be living this out in their lives first before we ever go public to the rest of the congregation. Oh boy, boy, that's a that's a little bit of a vetting process right there to see which churches are going to work with you, right? <laughs> Where the leaders got to buy in first. I know. It's funny because, yeah, it, it could be a little intimidating. I don't like using the word accountability, although, I mean, that's in some sense what it is. I mean, we'll have these weekly phone calls, and I'm, and they all know that I'm going to ask them, hey, how are things going with your one life? What's the latest with your one life? Mm-hmm. Some ways, if you don't like that, then you're not going to like this because... <laughs> What I found from the pastors that are, are in our pilot program is they, they say, you know what, though, it's actually helping me do something that I know in my heart I want to do. I've decided I want to do this. So, yes, go ahead. I'm inviting you to ask me questions about how it's going and give me some coaching on how to overcome my barriers. It's sort of like asking a personal trainer to meet with you once a week, give you some coaching and to help you along and and hold you accountable and give you a workout program to work out, you know, in between sessions or whatever. It's like that. Yeah, and and it's amazing how sometimes as pastors we can, and you know, usually when I speak about pastors, I'm speaking from experience, personal experience, you know. We're really talking about ourselves. So let me rephrase that. It's amazing how I can tend to think that ministry should be easy, and the longer I'm in ministry, somehow it shouldn't be as hard as it used to be. I've kind of done all my reps, and I've served my time, and it should get a little easier for me, when in reality, it's really, I don't want to say that it's hard in the sense that you, you, know, you can't accomplish it, but you do have to be vulnerable and transparent and open and humble and willing to learn and willing to kind of lay yourself bare before others and willing to move into 
or out of your comfort zone and into your uncomfortable zone. And this is just another one of those areas. You know, what like and you said it could also be our our health and fitness. It might be our marriage and how that's going. It might be our our leadership and oversight of church ministries. Uh, it, it could be our own personal spiritual disciplines. Uh, it could be a, how we handle our finance. I mean, it could be so many things, our our thought life, our private life, our online life. And it's easy for us as pastors, because we're the ones that are in charge, to just allow ourselves to be in this comfortable lane where we look good and we act good and people won't ask any questions. But it's another thing altogether to say, hey, Gary, I want you to ask me that question every time we talk every week or to your personal trainer. You know, I want you to ask me how many times I've been to the to the gym without you, you know, in the last in the last seven days. So on your website, again, it it talks about some of the things that this program is not. And I think it's really good. You say it's not a new way to do church and it's not a short term one and done program for, for outreach. And it's not a sheep-stealing church growth program that just attracts other Christians. It's even not a transactional approach that treats unbelievers or non-Christians as projects or puts that bullseye on their back. They're the target of our ministry. But it is about, again, it is about caring for people. Maybe just speak about that for just a moment because we tend to care about the people in our church and we don't think about the people outside of our church. And so the one life is all about caring for people that they're not in the faith yet, correct? Yeah, that's right. You know, uh, I love where you're going with this question. I think it's probably the most critical of all. It's about being proactive and intentional of saying, okay, what am I doing to help my people, my church, my congregation to actually get in the game and not just talk about how important it is to reach non-Christians, but to actually have a name and a face with these people that we we say we care about so much. Mm. And so a couple of things come to mind. One is, one of our uh, requirements is that we identify someone in the church who's going to be the one life point person. And we, we say the senior pastor is really leading this initiative, and there's other staff that are actually supporting it. But there needs to be one person who is especially gifted in this area of evangelism in their own life, as well as mobilizing and, and motivating and inspiring others, that we appoint as the point person. And we say, your job is to come to our various church planning meetings and, and our gatherings and to be the voice of the non-Christian, to represent the non-Christian. And we want you, you know, we want to have someone that's laying awake at night thinking about how are we going to raise our evangelistic temperature and how are we going to make sure that it's not slipping? Hmm. And how do we get intentional with our people? Who's going to be training our people? Who's going to help them when they're stuck and they have questions and they don't know what their next step should be? And how do we help all the ministries? So the, the key here goes back to what you said. There, there usually in a church isn't a voice for the non-Christians. There's a loud voice for from the Christians, the Christians may say, hey, I want worship to be less, uh, I don't want it to be so loud, or I want it to be louder, or <laughs> right, <laughs> I want, right. I need this program, and I need that program, and what about my needs, and my kids' needs, and my small group needs? 
And so you hear those voices all the time in a church. Who's the voice for the non-Christian? Who's the one that says, hey, what about our unchurched friends and people who are not in, in the building yet? What are we doing to reach them? And then in addition, we really want our church leaders to be modeling this for the rest of the congregation. I mean, we have the phrase, speed of leader, speed of the team, or as the leader goes, so goes the team. Mm -hmm. And the church, the congregation, looks to the senior leaderships and says, well, what is important to them? Therefore, that's important to me. And they can tell. So we're trying to mobilize leadership to live it out in their own lives. And it's especially harder when you're on staff. I mean, I was on, on, on a church staff for many, many years. I was a pastor for five years of a church I planted in Indiana. I know firsthand that when you're engaged in the life of the church, it takes you out of the world of non-Christians. You're not working with them. You're not, not engaged with them. You're more preoccupied with helping Christians and get married and get buried and baby dedications and that kind of thing. And so you're now all of a sudden, you're finding yourself after many years of ministry, not knowing any non-Christians. And I've had pastors admit that to me, and, and I know it's true. And so we're saying, hey, we need to be intentional with our own personal lives, engaging in spiritual conversations so that we can model that for the rest of the congregation. And we have genuine stories that we can share that are fresh and recent, and it'll inform our preaching and it'll inform our leadership. And it will it'll just sort of bleed out from us because this is what's important to us and it's how we're living our lives. I think that addresses to what you were raising. It's so important that we... We get intentional about it, and we figure out a way to make sure that it's genuinely happening in our in our lives so that it, it can happen in others' lives as well. Yeah, and you know, Gary, I think I'm so passionate for pastors because I'm at the age where I've said goodbye and I'm saying goodbye to my parents. I'm saying hello to my grandchildren. I care very deeply that my own kids are good husbands and wives and parents to their kids. I'm at the age where all kinds of opportunities to do good are opened up to me more than I have time to put my hand to. And I'm also at the age where I'm kind of still reconciling some issues that in the, in the whole area of self-awareness that you realize I've kind of known I've been struggling with this with most for most of my life, and you start putting two and two and three and three together from things that happened to you as a young adult and as a as a young person. You're hoping the jury's still out on whether you're sane or insane or whether you're going to make it or not, you know. And so, yeah, you got you got all these things going on, and and then you're the pastor of a church that really needs your attention and really needs your energy. And your leadership, like you just said, the speed of the leader informs the speed of the team. And that's that's intimidating to somebody like me right now who is kind of just in the whirlwind of life and kind of trying to hang on for all it's worth, but, but really having to decide, okay, I've got 10, 15 years left of ministry, and it's really important now for me to focus my time and focus my energy because even as I sit here, I've got two desks on either side of me here, and they're 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 getting piled up and they're stacked. And I've got stuff from my podcast world, from my health coaching world, from my home uh, economics to my ministry stuff, and 
it's starting to pile up and what am I going to do tonight? I'm going to go spend time with my wife and some grandkids. So focus is so important. And what I appreciate about the One Life Advisors uh, and, and then the 3D1 approach is that it really brings focus to what you said could be the most, the, the, the thing that's going to get tossed out the quickest in terms of, you know, worship and discipleship and ministry and all this is that is that evangelism fervor of a church. As you're coming alongside churches, what does the future of One Life Advisors look like? And, and what does it look like to pastors that are listening of a lot of normal, ordinary-sized churches? Somebody once said New Testament-sized churches, right? Churches of about 30 to 40 to maybe 100. What does it look like? What's the future of One Life Advisors look like, and, and even your involvement in it? Well, great question, Jeff. I'm very, very passionate about this because I've, I'm seeing it help churches and it's helping mobilize the congregation, no matter what the size, to reach out to their community. And I think it's needed in, in our country. And our future and our hope is that God is going to use us to help as many churches as possible. We are trying to figure out ways to uh, publicize this so that people are made aware of it. So thank you for talking about this with me uh, on mm-hmm. your podcast. And we are looking for churches that want to adapt this approach in their churches. Now, I do know that in some ways, some churches uh, can feel overwhelmed with a year-long commitment and that kind of thing. And so we are looking at how can we make this something that's easy or simple for churches to begin to implement and take smaller steps. But I also know that it, it is a commitment of the leadership that says, I want this to be a part of our church. I want this to be a priority. I want us to be intentional. So we are uh, looking for ways to help as many churches as possible. And, you know, one of the things I've found in, in the process of working with these churches is I found some ministry staff who want to come alongside me and help others, and they want to coach others. Hmm. And what I love about it is they, like, for example, one of one of these guys, is his name is Roger, and he was on the other side of the phone calls. You know, he was hearing my coaching and so forth for about a year and a half. And uh, he's come alongside. He said, I'm open to helping these pastors as they begin the process. And uh, I found that my pastors are asking him more questions than they're asking me because they want to hear, hear it straight from Roger to hear where he was at a year ago or so, what his perspective is. So I love that. I love creating a network of pastors who can talk to each other and who can help each other answer questions about how they can implement this in their own church. Yeah, that's exciting. That's exciting. And when we talked on our podcast, actually it's episode 334 with Dave Runyon, who was also at that same conference that you were at. He even talked about, you know, he's not a a local church pastor right now, but he's working with pastors, right? And, And he even said that when he was a pastor in the church, he did not have any outside relationships with people outside the church. He recognized how backwards that was and how really that just was, uh, it wasn't right. And so, uh, again, that's episode 334. As you're working with churches, you want to work with as many as possible. Uh, you're partnering with pastors right now, with pastors that are doing this, right, and that want to help you coach others? Yes, it's been really great and fun because uh, we're finding others 
who have gone through the program who are now turning around and helping others. So that's what our vision is. You're asking me about the future. We're, our vision is that we're hoping that we can begin to start a movement here where churches will help each other and say, here's what we did. Here's what we learned. Here's what worked for us. Here's what didn't work. Uh, now you try it. And we found that with each pilot church that we've added to our program, our coaching has gotten better. Hmm. Yeah, that's cool. So I'm thinking about our vision. And so when I worked with the Unstuck Group, we put together this five-year vision. And when I heard you talking at the Good for All conference, I'm connecting what you're saying to the vision that our church has. And I'm saying to myself, boy, this would really help us accomplish the vision that God has given us as a group of people at our church to reach 250 new families in our community and help them experience salvation and continue their spiritual journey right at our church at Community Heights. My church is about 500 people, but let's say my church is uh, 100 people, and we've got a goal of reaching people and becoming a more outward-focused church. Uh, What should I do? How can I connect with One Life Advisors? They could just reach out to me directly. Uh, that might be the easiest at this point. Or you could go to our, our website, onelifeadvisors.com, and we could talk about how we could uh, include any church or any pastor, no matter what the size, to this process. And we've got these six churches that I've talked about that we've been more intentionally working with are of a wide variety of sizes. And uh, we could connect you with those churches we can help with the process of coaching. We have, are working with a, a town in Indiana right now where there's three churches that are in the same town or in the same vicinity, and they are, are part of our coaching calls at the same time. So I love that because they can learn from each other that way. Okay. So onelifeadvisors.com, and how would they contact you? personally? Would they just go to that? Is there uh, an email address at that site or a contact there? There is, but I'll, I'll just give it to you right now. It's it's pretty simple. It's Gary with two R's, G-A-R-R-Y, at GaryPool.com. That's the best way to reach me. That's awesome. Gary, David Fitch from Northern Seminary in Chicago has written a book called Faithful Presence. Have you happened to hear of that book? I have heard of it, and I know Dave Fitch personally, yes. Okay, so that that book speaks about what you were talking about when you talked about uh, Discover Stories, where he would say, you know, create space where God can work, and we already recognize God's faithful presence with people, and then we also, as the body, as the church, become a faithful presence in the lives of others. And I think in his book, he's got seven practices of being faithful presence in your community. And I thought that's a, that's a great connection to your section there about developing friendships and discovering stories. Gary, before we uh, sign off here, we always give our guests, we call it the parting shot, but an opportunity to just speak into the lives of the small church pastors that listen. A lot of them are bivocational. Uh, They're bivocational, and they are small church pastors. Uh, Some of them are younger. Some of them are older. But, you know, what what encouragement do you have for them if they feel a little bit discouraged, and so many pastors do, in this whole area of evangelism? You know, thank you for that opportunity. I love pastors. I I was uh, a lead pastor for a number of years, and then I was on staff at a church for many, many years, and I come alongside pastors. 
And I love pastors because they have a heart for God. They have a heart for people. And that's really all that's important is our relationship with God through Christ and people, loving God and loving people. And and so I, I just want to say I encourage you to keep on keeping on, you know, uh, don't give up. Uh, continue to be faithful and trustworthy in your ministry. And thank you for what you're doing. I think more than anything, I want to say thank you. And we appreciate you and your hard work. And I know it's not easy. And there's lots of uh, heartaches and hardships, but keep being faithful. And when it comes to evangelism, I just want to encourage you to identify a way to be intentional in your own life and to help your people be intentional in their lives, whatever program that would be. And if there's anything that I can do to come alongside you and help you in this process, to encourage you, to cheerlead you, to brainstorm with you, I would love to do it. I mean, sometimes we just need someone maybe on the outside that gets it and can speak into our lives and help us see our blind spots, but also to give us some wisdom and encouragement. That, that would be my word, and, and that's my prayer for the pastors that are listening today. Awesome. Thank you. So I just want to encourage you to go to OneLifeAdvisors.com and just read through that whole homepage. It, it's, it's lengthy, but read from top to bottom. It's actually not that lengthy. It's, I would say it's complete. And there's just a lot of great philosophy uh, on that page at OneLifeAdvisors.com. Just read it from top to bottom and see if it doesn't stir something in your heart of potential, potentially what your church could actually do. We often focus on our limitations but the information on that page will open up your mind and your heart to some of the opportunities that you and your church has uh, in front of it, no matter how large or small it is. Johnny, I'm sorry you were not on the call. Always a loss. I probably had some pathetic excuse, didn't I? No, I don't even think I told you about the recording. Oh, I feel better then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think? Unvangelism, huh? Not your, Unvangelism. Not your grandpappy's track ministry, right? You know, the boxes. Yeah, Nobody the, knows what I'm talking about when I say that, but you and I, we developed this this strategy of ministry called the boxes, Yep. right? And we talked about how relationships are one of the practices that can lead to an outcome of outreach or evangelism. Right. right. I think when I read through the three Ds that Gary Poole has, uh, develop friendships mm-hmm. and discover stories are both relational. I mean, it's completely right. Like, obviously, first you have to develop the friendship, but part of developing a friendship is discovering the stories that people carry with them. Yeah. Getting to know somebody, hearing their story. And I like it because it doesn't put, it's not like, do this so that later you can get them saved. It's like, do this because, like, this is what we're called to do as followers of Jesus. Well, it's being a human being with people. Right. It's to develop friendships and hearing their stories. And I think it does open the door for spiritual conversations, which is next, right? Discerning next steps. It does open the door for spiritual conversations, but in a way that doesn't seem forced, in a way that doesn't seem like I can then have a spiritual conversation with my friend and them not think, oh, he's a pastor. This is really all about converting me. Like, no, it's not. Like, we were having a conversation and intersected with spiritual things, and we had a conversation about spiritual things. It's got nothing to do with trying to uh, evangelize in the traditional sense. It has to do with sharing 
what God has placed in our hearts with others. So I love the way you say unvangelism. I think that's really, really perfect. Now, I myself prefer a soapbox on a street corner, but unvangelism, I suppose, could work for others. I have seen the soapbox on the street corner, too. I've, I actually did some open-air evangelism with students, what? actually, in Montreal and Toronto and Ottawa and in Niagara Falls. Dang. So that was uh, pretty interesting. But in the city, it's different in the city because they're used to street performers and they're used to street, you know. <laughs> you were basically a street performer. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, there you kind go. Kind of. But people in the city, they don't. They're not taken aback by it. They can stop and listen if they want to, or they could just keep walking. It's sure. up to them. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And they, so they utilized a method of striking up a conversation with people. Sure. But it's interesting for me to think about what evangel- evangelism was like in the 70s and 80s and 90s and whatever you call the zeros um, and whatever you call what we just got through, the yeah. teens, the, the, yeah, the 20, 20 teens, teens yeah. um, and to just see how it's changed. And it's, it's changed because culture has changed too, and society has changed. We're not the same kind of a culture and society right. that we were in the 1970s when evangelism explosion would tell you to just go up to a door and you, know, you share your story. Right. And then you ask them to make a decision. Bang. Based on your story and the truth that you're sharing. Right there. Right there. Yeah. Then you we'll think about follow up later, but you've never really gotten to know you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. You don't build a relationship, you don't get to know them. Absolutely. There's no time. People are going to hell, share the gospel, get them saved, and get on to the next person. (laughs) I mean basically that's no time to build a relationship. No, no. That's that's what it was like. Assembly line evangelism. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, put the pieces together and hope that the car runs. I mean, based on where the church is in North America right now, I'd say it worked pretty good. Well, it did until everybody started <laughs> like not going to church, like a bunch of naughty... It did until it didn't work. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't be critical. I'm sorry. There's probably pastors listening right now who are still doing that. I would encourage you, if you're listening and still doing that, to consider a new way, right? Yeah. Consider... Yeah. A different way, the unvangelism, as as Jeff said, right, of Gary Poole's method. One person instead of ten people. The three Ds instead of get on your knees because you're going to hell. But you know, some sort of like change, change the game with a changing world. The gospel doesn't change, you guys. Um, but what does change is the way that it's presented, and that's been true across all of time. And if you think, oh, wh-, no, the presentation of the gospel doesn't have to change, well, I'd say that's inaccurate biblically and inaccurate historically, and it's probably time to try something a little bit do, different. Do you think that message, though, We don't we all get that message? Or are there still people that uh, <laughs> haven't gotten that message yet? If you haven't got the message, email Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> tell him that no the presentation never has to i don't know i don't know i yeah i don't I mean, know who's listening that, so we've been saying the meth the, the methods have to change but the message never changed we've been saying that for 30 years sure but it's almost like we still have to say it because we get a new method and then that becomes the idol oh yeah exactly you know, after a couple years yeah and then you you go to change that and everybody's like well you're you know what are you changing yeah yeah speaking of change i always want to remember that if i'm hesitant to change it's because i have a bad presupposition and that is that the way i am right now should be the standard Ooh. the way i am right now is the right way yeah and any change might cause me to deviate from the true and holy path <laughs> right <laughs> and that's just 
It's just not true. No. I forget who it was. Some great leader said this. It's it's not what we know for certain that's the problem. It's what we know for certain that just isn't true. Hmm. That's the problem. Yeah. The fewer things that we hold to with certainty, the better, I think. What are you, some kind of a liberal compromiser? Come on. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not saying everything. I'm just saying, like, we should reduce the list of things we hold with certainty. It's your boys coming to you. Dad, you know what? The fewer rules we have in this house, I think, that are for sure and certain are the better. And I would say absolutely. The fewer things that we have to, that we know we absolutely cannot break. The better, and then everything else should be there you go. adjustable. Yeah, and up for compromise and negotiation. <laughs> I'm just saying we got to reconsider some things. I'm trying to agree with you. <laughs> I know, Johnny. You have on your desk here a swing line, uh, World War II color green typewriter. Yes, it's pretty interesting. It is a it is a clash of technological eras. Yeah, that was here. my grandpa's. Yeah. So you've got your grandpa's typewriter, yep. your laptop is on the other side, That's and our right. two phones are in between. That's right, yeah. And there's even paper and a couple pens on the desk for old-fashioned I, stuff. I did a sermon series uh, a year and a half ago, probably, and I brought this out the first Sunday of the series. Oh, yeah? And the whole thing was about knowing where you come from. It was a series through the Old Testament. Oh, nice. And I talked about my grandpa and how I keep this on my desk. To, to always remember where I, I come wish from. I could remember to have really good illustrations like that. I do it once a year. <laughs> <laughs> a good illustration? <laughs> I'm like an object lesson. I don't bring stuff up on stage with me very often, yeah. but yeah. Well, hey, One Life Advisors, uh, I'm not even going to tell you what the website is. You just go to Google, Gary Pool, two R's, Pool with an E, One Life Advisors. One Life, I think, is one word, and you will find him. And if you want to get in cahoots with them and just learn from them or hear about other churches maybe in your area that you can partner with and maybe just start start a fresh approach to being an outreach-focused church, being an outward-focused church. You don't have to do Evangelism Explosion or one of the programs that actually Gary Poole worked on back in the day was Becoming a Contagious Christian. Sure. Um, There's a lot of good in that stuff. Yeah. But there's also a lot of good in organically just building relationships and caring for and loving people. Absolutely. Johnny, so good to be back with you today. Jeff, I love sitting here with you. It's always a great joy to do this live and in person. And to you, our listeners... You've uh, sat through a lot here at the end. We are grateful for you. We love you. We are so thankful that you listen. And we'll see you here next week, right? Yes, sir. On the 200 Churches Podcast. My name is Angela, and I want to thank you for listening to this episode. If you haven't already, you should subscribe at 200churches.com and to the podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You know it. We'll be back with another amazing and encouraging episode just for you. Until then, may God bless you as you lead and love His church.